Um, uh, welcome on behalf of the United States Studies Center at the University of Sydney. I'm really delighted to invite you and to welcome you to our inaugural um, Sydney International Strategy Forum. Uh, I'm Mike Green, the CEO of the center, um, and I'll tell you a bit about our plan for the day. Let me first begin um, by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land where we meet today, uh, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and also um, acknowledge the uh, First Nation people from the United States, from Canada, and from uh, countries also represented here today. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Um, we're going to um, talk today about um, the Indo-Pacific, uh, the United States, Australia, Japan, Canada, and other, and other allies and partners in a more contested and uncertain environment. Um, we are um, calling this the Sydney International Strategy Forum. So uh, you will hear updates from some of the leading experts uh, from the United States, Australia, Japan, on what is happening in geopolitics, in emerging technology, in trade policy, and uh, geoeconomics. You'll hear those updates, but we call this the Strategy Forum because it's our hope that on the panels um, and in the discussions at the tables and afterwards, um, we are um, setting up a framework for a strategic discussion, not just about what's happening, but what um, like-minded countries uh, can do about it. Um, and this is the theory of impact we're trying to uh, develop at the U.S. Studies Center. We have, for, for 15 years at the, Stutter, at the Center, um, uh, provided analysis of the U.S., of the U.S.-Australia Alliance and the Indo-Pacific, uh, insights uh, for government. Um, we're focusing in particular now um, and have updated our banners uh, to include a third line, which is um, working on solutions for the Alliance. So we, for example, have done um, extensive studies. Some of you in the room have participated on um, financing Pillar 2 of AUKUS, where we've had representatives from uh, private equity and, and venture capital firms, from tech firms, from defense, from the White House, um, brainstorming about how to open up more resources uh, for innovation in the defense sector. We've had um, what might have been mind-numbing, but were actually pretty interesting roundtables on ITAR and American export controls, um, uh, work on the energy transition, um, uh, John Hamry, my old boss at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, liked to say that um, the problems of the world are increasingly becoming horizontal and disrespecting um, the vertical cylinders that are the historic and traditional constructs of companies and governments and international institutions and think tanks and forums like this can sometimes play a helpful role um, working across the horizontal, um, working across traditional uh, domains or um, bureaucratic lines or national lines, uh, bringing people together from different um, stakeholder communities uh, to start looking for practical solutions because many of the challenges we face don't respect the organizational chart of the US or Australian governments. Um, so that's what we try to do in our work now and that's what we'll try to do uh, today, and that's the essence of grand strategy. Strategy is ultimately about having to reconcile two contradictory objectives. Um, we want um, an energy transition where we uh, give incentives from government um, to spur innovation and investment, um, but we also want prosperity. Um, we want to protect technology, uh, but we want uh, growth. 
Um, we want a productive relationship with China, but we want security. The, the, the issue set today is replete with um, mutually contradictory objectives that the US, Australia, uh, Japan, and other friends and allies are trying to navigate. Um, so we look forward to that. We're the US Studies Center, but we sometimes call ourselves the US, uh, UK, Japan, Canada, NATO, Korea, a quad, quad AUKUS Studies Center. Uh, my staff wouldn't let me change the acronym, so we're still the US Studies Center, but we're are very focused on building those conversations with allies and partners. Um, and for that reason, we are delighted to have uh, some distinguished uh, guests with us today, including the High Commissioner from Canada, um, uh, Mark Rausser. Welcome, Mark. Um, the Japanese Consul General, Shuichi uh, Tokuda. Tokuda-san, welcome. Um, the British Consul General and Deputy Trade Commissioner, Louise Marie Cantillon, and the Canadian Consul and Senior Trade Commissioner, Sarah Quigley. Um, delighted you can join us. Um, we promise when the American, Japanese, and Australian speakers conclude their remarks, we won't pass all the homework to the UK and Canada and Japan. Um, we have four panels which will range across uh, the um, issues uh, confronting the region in economic security diplomacy. We'll also take a very close look at the US political system. Um, one reason the US Studies Center exists is because the United States itself is a big variable in all this. We'll try to make sense of it. We have some polling data we've just produced to help. Uh, in the first um, uh, uh, part of the program, we'll, we'll, we'll turn to that polling, and my colleagues will show you our, our um, results. Um, and then um, uh, we will um, look at US-China competition. Um, Michelle Flournoy, former Undersecretary of uh, Defense, who I'll introduce, will frame uh, the discussion for us, and then I'll invite Admiral Phil Davidson, former commander of Indo-PACOM, and Dr. Evan Medeiros, colleague at Georgetown and former senior director for Asia at the NSC, and uh, the Honorable Kim Beasley uh, to join us uh, for a panel discussion on where U.S.-China competition is going. Um, we'll then turn to domestic U.S. politics, uh, a panel um, that will be moderated by um, the U.S. Studies Center's Victoria Cooper with Ryan Lizza of Politico, Olivia Nuzzi of uh, New York Magazine, um, Associate Professor David Smith of the Center and the University of Sydney, and Bruce Wolpe, one of our fellows, uh, to try to, um, uh, I cannot think of the right verb, to try to explain <laughs> what's happening in American politics. Um, we'll then turn um, after lunch uh, to a panel on navigating um, the geopolitics of business in the Indo-Pacific, de-risking, disruption, emerging technology. We have Michaela Browning from Google, uh, John Kunkel uh, from the U.S. Study Center, and Haley Channer, and that will be moderated by Jared Monshine from the Center. Um, and then we'll come back to the allies and partners. We'll have a panel discussion on AUKUS, the Quad, um, the U.S.-Japan-Australia Trilateral Security Dialogue, and the future of our alliances and partnerships with um, Representative Aki Nagashima from the National Diet of Japan, former National Security Advisor, Professor Peter Dean from the Center, Dr. Zach Cooper from the American Enterprise Institute, and Dr. Grana uh, Gurkic uh, from the University of Sydney and the Center. We also have keynote addresses for you. Um, the Minister for Resources and Minister for Northern Australia, just back from the state visit in the United States, the Honorable Madeleine King. Um, we have Shadow uh, Minister for Foreign Affairs and Leader of the Opposition in the Senate, uh, the Honorable Simon Birmingham. Um, and as I said, we'll hear from uh, Michelle Flournoy with um, our uh, first keynote to frame up the strategic issues. But what I want to do first is um, start with U.S. politics, uh, which will infuse our discussion all day. Um, and 
Our surveys, which we um, have done at the center for some time, um, and there are some really very good surveys. The Lowy Institute survey I've long found helpful, Gallup and the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. They're each a bit different, a bit different. They give you different insights. Um, our survey the last two years has focused on uh, the American, Japanese, and Australian public uh, looking at attitudes on um, each other on uh, China and the Indo-Pacific, but also probing a bit more on some of the issues we'll be talking about today, uh, Taiwan, uh, technology de-risking, and so forth. Um, and to uh, give you um, our findings, uh, which I believe are on the tables, uh, if you want to read the full report, um, I want to invite uh, our research director, uh, Jared Monshine, and research editor, Victoria Cooper, who will um, walk through what we found uh, the American, uh, Australian, and Japanese people think about the topics we'll be discussing today. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Jared Monshine here, uh, Director of Research. As Mike said, thanks so much for joining us today. It means so much to see such a large room uh, for the second uh, year in a row now, us launching a, a report like this. Um, so that polling you have on your tables, that's um, similar to last year. We asked 1,000 people in Australia, 1,000 people in Japan, 1,000 people in the US about a number of issues. But as Mike said, a lot of people do polls. What's different about ours? What we really want to do is road test some really specific scenarios to really get down in the, in the weeds on what do people actually think about nuclear-powered submarines? What do people actually think about, going broader than that, strategic competition? And most importantly, how does it end? How do people want it to end? What's the next step on this? Um, so that's how we did this report. But before I move on, uh, to the actual report, I wanted to quickly do a poll of the room. You may have seen Intelligence Squared debates. What we want to do is, if you could, get out your phone and scan this QR code. You are then going to get a, uh, a survey, if I could ask you to fill out, and I promise you it is anonymous. Um, and we're asking folks in the room same questions we asked uh, Americans, Australian, and Japanese respondents. And we're, you're in the report, you can skip ahead and cheat and see what they said, but I prefer you didn't, and actually just <laughs> answer it for yourselves. Um, and at the end of the program, we are going to do this poll once again, and to see if any ideas or thoughts changed from uh, at the beginning of the day. As Mike's outlined, we have a, a large program, and so we just want to uh, first get a, a, a feel of the room, vibe check, as the young kids say these days. Um, so, um, I'll n now move on to Victoria. Hey, good morning, everyone. Um, we wanted to start with our headline finding, which is that China is resoundingly seen as most likely to be the most influential country in Asia. While the three countries don't hope this is the outcome, they are not necessarily expecting war. Um, so, asked... We asked our publics uh, what they think the most likely outcome of strategic competition is, as you can see there. Uh, and overwhelmingly, China's uh, military and economic dominance is seen as most likely. 63% of Australians, 51% of Americans, and 51% of Japanese think that China will be the most likely to be the most economically and militarily influential in Asia in 25 years. Half that number of Australians, so about 32%, and Americans, 26%, and significantly fewer Japanese would say the same of the United States. 
But we didn't just ask what they thought of strategic competition, we also asked what they wanted from it. And this is clearly not the preferred outcome. Uh, those in all three countries who think the collapse of the Chinese Communist Party would be good for their country outnumber those that don't by around a margin of 10 to 1. Over half the respondents in all three countries say China does more harm than good in Asia. Only 10% of Australians, 10% of Americans, and 4% of Japanese think Chinese dominance in Asia is good for their country, versus 41% of Australians, 47% of Americans, and 21% of Japanese who think US dominance in Asia is good for their country. But despite all of this, our most intriguing finding, and figure one in our report, shows decreasing numbers of Australians think war with China is very likely. In 2022, 21% of Australians said war with China was very likely, and this year, 14%, so 7% less, said the same. And an increasing number say war with China is very unlikely, with 7% more Australians saying war is very unlikely in 10 years' time. Now, that's a statement, but I feel like it could also be a question mark. Is deterrence working? My perception of this polling is that the Australian people are convinced that maybe it is working amidst massive uh, investments in uh, Australia's military, amidst, um, despite a lot of rhetoric, you know, we, we saw after the rollout of the, of the AUKUS, uh, the plans on AUKUS, that China was not exactly excited for AUKUS, it's not exactly excited for US allies and partners joined together because we know, um, in my view, that it is actually one of the most effective um, uh, ways to counter uh, Chinese uh, efforts in the region that are revisionist. But what we wanted to show here is the way that um, there's a lot of people who just don't know about what's going on in AUKUS. It resonates a lot in Australia but uh, less so in Japan and less so in the US. Yet, as much as they don't know, they are overwhelmingly, significantly more in favor of AUKUS than against. Those who actually disagree with AUKUS, who say that it actually makes Asia less safe, you can see in the red there, pretty small. And you, and you may have seen from some domestic politics here in Australia about a lot of resentment towards AUKUS um, in the Labour Party, uh, especially at the Labour Party conference. And again, that's actually uh, not as significant. So the headlines may say something about AUKUS, but the people are somewhere else. Um, move on to the next one. This is something that's really interesting. This is, again, going down deep into the weeds on where the US, uh, where Australia is on AUKUS. You can see Australians really think it's gonna great, be great for jobs, but at the same time, they don't seem to be convinced that's worth the cost. And they also are not, are seemingly uh, a bit maybe concerned or, or maybe accepting of the fact that it will likely um, involve, it will, support the United States in an armed conflict, or armed conflict, that somehow AUKUS really ties Australia to the US more. Is that the abandonment entanglement issue? Not sure, but I think it shows, in my view, a nuanced perception of AUKUS. It is not all excellent news, it is not all terrible news, um, despite what the headlines may say about it. And again, it's important to note the partisan breakdown of where uh, 
different parties in Australia view AUKUS, how they view AUKUS, and how it is not as polarized politically as uh, some may think, especially coming from America, as an American. I think uh, I wish we could have Australian levels of polarization sometimes. <laughs> So it's not only uh, that deterrence might possibly be working, but we also see that alliances increase feelings of security. Um, our headline finding last year was the overwhelming view that alliances made all three countries, America, Japan and Australia, feel more secure. And uh, while fewer say the same this year as they did in 2022, it is still a majority view. So 53% of Americans say Australia, their alliance with Australia makes them safer. 54% of Australians say the same of the US. 52% of Americans say Japan makes it safer, and 55% of Japanese say the same of the US. And so it might have come down from its historic highs last year, but the overall trend of recognizing the security benefits of alliances still skews upwards. <laughs> These findings can also be found in your <laughs> reports on your tables. And just very last, last point, on this is that um, there's a lot of ambition with AUKUS and other trilateral initiatives. A lot of uh, allies and partners wanting to do more. But what I've been saying for a long time, I've been doing polling at the U.S. Study Center since I arrived in 2017. And the way that the U.S., Australia, Japan, and other allies and partners see the challenge is ever more the same. A lot of people see the challenge, and a lot of people see the general broad solution the same. China is a challenge, revision uh, revisions China, China is a challenge, and the solution is working with allies and partners. But now, and this event today is the sort that we go to the next step and say, okay, working with allies and partners, what does that mean? What does that look like? How do we make the hard choices to actually um, work with allies and partners in a way that's actually the most effective? So with that, I'll uh, move to Mike. <laughs> 